Welcome to the Retirement Risk Show, the best retirement interviews and advice with Dave Hall. Learn strategies to help you reduce and even eliminate the risks facing your retirement. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. My name is Dave Hall. I'm your host. Very excited to have you back with me this week as we talk about getting safely through retirement. Each week, we bring on new guests, we talk about different topics, we go over all kinds of information to help you either reduce or eliminate the risk facing your retirement. If you do want to learn more about us, all you've got to do is go to our website, www.retirementriskadvisors.com. Here you can get access to our education, you can get access to our strategic partners, all kinds of fun information to help you. Today, I'm very excited about our show. I've got uh, someone with me today that's going to help us better understand our finances, better help us understand some coaching aspects of financial planning, what can be done there. I've got uh, Sandra Davis with me. She is the founder of Sage Financial Solutions. They are a nonprofit that really focuses on training and creating coaching programs. Sandra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dave. It's a delight to be here. I'm so excited today because this is not our typical show. We oftentimes will talk to financial advisors, we'll talk about Social Security, we may have people on here about Medicare, but we've never had someone who does coaching and creates coaching programs. So if you wouldn't mind starting by telling us a little more about what Sage Financial does and how you got into this industry. I will. Thank you so much. So I became a financial planner at 44. I was a career changer and I made that change because I was not going to have enough money to retire. And so I had to figure out what I was going to do so that I could work well into my 70s and still love my life. So I saw a book that said, if you're going to hire a financial planner, hire someone who's a CFP or better yet, someone with a master's degree in financial planning. So I went and got one. I very quickly learned that all of my knowledge did not change anyone's behavior. So I knew a lot of things and all of the stuff that I knew that I thought was just going to change the world and how people live with their money turned out not to be so true. Even with the very best financial advice, people still were often unable to align their behavior with what they said they wanted, even if they had the best possible plan. And so That's how I started SAGE. Number one, how do we make sure that people, irrespective of their income or wealth, have access to ethical and competent uh, financial services? So how do we make sure that people who don't have a lot of money are not relegated to payday lenders and salespeople who may not have their best interest at heart? So that was really what started the organization. And we started back in 2005. We just hit Sweet 16, and we are thriving, doing very well. We've created a financial coaching certification where people actually have to be experts at financial topics and then we train them on the coaching skills. So we've got folks who hold the CPA and CPFS as well as CFPs and other the chartered CHFCs. And the point there is to help people build the skills to communicate with clients in a way that the clients feel self-efficacy around implementation. So the coaching skills help build a really solid discovery, not data gathering, but discovery about what's important to people and what do they want to accomplish. And then that accountability piece of when a client is not aligning their behavior with what they said they wanted, really relying on the professional to help with that accountability part. So setting that accountability relationship up in the very beginning. So you're not surprised on the back end when the client says, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then they, they even pay you. 
They pay you to tell them what to do, and then they don't do it, right? And so that's what the coaching part is about. And then we actually have coaches. So I, I have a team of coaches that when I'm working on a project, we offer, we offer the one-on-ones for primarily low and moderate income communities through other nonprofit partners, but then also for workplace. So we've got a couple of contracts with employers who want their staff to take up those retirement options or to take up the the benefits that they have that you know maybe they're not so that's what we do Sandra you're going to appreciate this I educate somewhere between 65 and 70,000 CPAs on an annual basis and my goal for this year is based on a quote that I have knowledge becomes power when it leads to action because we were having some of the similar problems that you're facing. We had this situation where we've got a loud megaphone, we're talking to a lot of people, but we're not seeing people take action on what we're teaching. In fact, they're sending us emails saying, we love what you taught, it's the best information I've ever heard, and yet we reach out to them months later and nothing's being done. So let's talk a little bit about that. Obviously, there's a transition from a typical professional like myself. I'm a CPA, financial advisor, I educate a lot of people, to a coach who's saying, wait, we need some accountability. We need someone to be there on a consistent basis. Can you talk a little bit about that transition? I can. And similar to you, I have a quote that I use that knowing better doesn't mean doing better, (laughs) but you can't do better until you know better. And so it's really this combination of offering information in a way that the person receiving the information feels their own self-efficacy and their own power. And they're clear without judgment and without shame. You know, when I'm training, I tell people, you know, coaching is a cha-cha. We might take a couple steps forward and a couple steps back, but we're doing it together. So the clients don't feel judged by me. They don't feel that, oh my goodness, I don't want to go to this appointment with Sandra because I haven't done my homework. You know, those kinds of things. We want to try to avoid that because shame actually is a barrier to forward action. And so by understanding financial behavior, so in addition to having a master's in financial planning, I'm also a financial behavior specialist and a certified mindfulness teacher. So I really use those practices to help people understand that when they're with me, it's a no shame zone. And that means I also have to have a level of self-awareness around my fears for them. So when I step into the mentality of I have to get the client to do something, I'm out of bounds, right? Because I really can't get anybody to do anything. If you've ever raised a teenager, you know this, right? That, you know, that's just not how it works. But what I can do is I can find out what that person cares about and collaborate with them and walking with them side by side as they figure out their path and provide them with the the information that they need to make the choices that get them what they say they want. Now, the choices without the aligned behavior, you know, good information doesn't change anything. You have to actually do something with it, as you described in the knowledge is power. And so my role as the coach is to align in partnership with them rather than be the leader trying to whip them into submission to get them to do a thing or not, and often is the case, or to not do a thing. So the coaching skills allow me to uh, recognize where they are, understand where they are uh, in in the model of change and the theory of change, what are barriers to change, what gets in the way. So understanding things like motivational interviewing, understanding appreciative inquiry, and knowing what is the neuroscience behind how people change. And then I adapt my methodology to what that individual needs. Some people, you can give them information, they're ready to go, they get it done. And then other people, 
it's a cha-cha. and then sometimes they're just straight up wallflowers and they don't want to do anything at all but when that happens I have to understand the gap between where they are and where they want to be and what are the opportunities and the obstacles so we excavate that together and then we develop a plan together and then you know we agree to some accountability and then it's my job to just kind of follow through and ensuring to the best that I can them doing what they say they want to do. There's so much of what you talked about that I absolutely love. And I go back even to my own life. I was raised in a very poor family. The only thing that changed my life was education. When I was 19 years old, I went on a mission for my church. I spent two years teaching religion to a group of people that didn't necessarily want to hear anything about religion. But I became quite successful with it because of a lot of what you talked about. And it's a lot of what they helped us to understand. And it was building those relationships of trust, building upon the common things that we did have in common so then we could talk about where we wanted to go from there. And I love how you talk about bringing it down to that level as a financial planner and a CPA. I unfortunately see too many times where advisors come in and they want to act like, hey, I'm the advisor and I'm up here. You're the, the client and the customer. You're down here. And it just never seems to go well. Yeah, and unfortunately, it doesn't go well for the advisor as well. And and often, that's where the mindfulness and the self-awareness comes in. Or, you know, for some of us, it's our spiritual practice, recognizing that there's no difference between us. You know, every single one of us has an area of our life where we're not doing what we know to do. We're doing something that we know better, and we're doing it anyway. And so we have to tap into that part of us that uh, doesn't do what we know. It might not be money for us, but it's something. We all have something. For me, it's chocolate. Uh, you know, we all have something. And so we can connect to that that vulnerable part of ourselves, but it's very difficult because we spend a lot of money to become experts. And then people come to us because we're experts. So it's very difficult to not lean on and rely on solely our expertise when I believe that what happens truthfully is that Folks connect with us because they want connection. So much the same as what you found when you were doing your your spiritual work, people want to connect. We've heard uh, Maya Angelou's quote that, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. That's really the same. You know, that's the same here. It's, I know more than I'll ever use. You know, I know stuff about money that I will never use. But it doesn't matter if I can't convey it in a way that the person can own it, they can recognize the benefits in their own lives, and they see the way forward. So people can only change when two things happen. They know change is possible, and they know it's possible for them. Like even my CPA, I know I drive my CPA absolutely nuts. We've been together for 20 years, and I'm sure that I drive him absolutely crazy. And I'm always getting better. I I remember doing a training for CPAs as as part of a a tax aid is a volunteer tax program here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And CPAs do tax planning like a VITA site, right, for for low-income clients. And so I was training the CPAs on coaching skills. And we did a thing called money habitudes. And one of the habitudes, of course, is planning and security. And so, as you can imagine, every single CPA in the room of 20 people, uh, their dominant habitude was planning and security. And one of them, who's just a brilliant, brilliant CPA, one of them, he says, you know, when I look at this, I can see that why my wife and I uh, disagree so often. 
I'm planning for her future if I were not here. I'm taking care of her. And what she wants is for us to have a little spontaneous playtime, right? And so she might want to go to a special dinner. She might, but, but it took that for him to see. I mean, it's kind of like that love languages we've heard so much about, right? That for her, a little spontaneity was what she really wanted to see. And so it, that self-awareness that we can bring can help us as practitioners, but it can also help the people we care about. Medicare insurance can be overwhelming, and you may have lots of questions. We have teamed up with Medicare Compare USA to get your questions answered. Visit MedicareComparUSA.com forward slash retirement risk advisors for a complimentary Medicare insurance consultation today. I think too many times we don't go deep enough. I know for myself, it's been quite an experience. I always wanted to be a public speaker. And as we got into it, I could look out and I saw all these people that I thought were 10 times better than me. Yet on our platform, I always have the highest review scores. We have a great following. And it really came back to people saying, look, he's the guy next door. He's going to be honest with us. He's going to talk at a fifth grade level or whatever it is that we all speak at. He's not going to try to quote tax code to me. He's going to really talk about retirement in a way that I can understand it. And I think that's probably one of the challenges you have from an advisor standpoint, because I know as a CPA and in this industry, we oftentimes have alpha personalities. We want to plan. We want to tell people to do. What's that experience like for you as you get these professionals in that are saying, hey, I'm willing to transition into coaching, but the process is much different than what I'm used to. Is there a little bit of challenge in those first uh, few classes to get people to put their guards down and say, look, I'm okay to let things be okay? Oh, Dave, if you could only see. Um, so, so, yeah, the questions I get, whether I'm teaching at a university, I teach at Golden Gate and at American College and also at Cal Lutheran. And the first thing is always, well, people come to me because I'm an expert. They want me to tell them what to do. I said, yeah, and how's that working? Are they doing what you say? And so the rub is also that the professional feels that their value is in their knowledge. And it can be very difficult, particularly if you're a numbers person and you love the numbers and you don't so much enjoy the the human interaction. You don't necessarily enjoy the part that isn't clear cut. I finally realized how much of a nerd I was after I took my tax class at Golden Gate. And then I went and took the H&R Block class on tax preparation. And I found out about the quick finder. And I ordered my quick finder. I knew how much of a nerd I was. When I got my quick finder, I was so excited. I curled up on my couch with a cup of tea and the quick finder. And so for many of us, the numbers are such a compelling part. And we feel like we're unlocking a puzzle. The challenge is we don't unlock the human. <laughs> we just unlock the numbers. And so for, for the financial professionals that I train, that's often the case is that they understand, you know, you take all the data, plug it into software, crank out this lovely plan, but then the plan sits in the desk or on the, on the bookshelf. And so what I do with folks is really kind of guide them through what I just described to you. What is an area that your actions do not align with your vision? And doing it in what I call a a no-shame zone so that they can allow themselves the grace of self-compassion, which increases their ability to demonstrate that compassion for their clients. 
So important as we look at it. And I know for you especially, you work with a lot of lower income individuals. I know that's a challenging market in the retirement space. Oftentimes they don't get enough attention. They don't have access to the resources that are out there. Even from our side, most of what we teach is free, but it's through a CPA site. So people are going to maybe intimidated by going to the site, even though they could. It's available there. What are some challenges that you're seeing with those lower income individuals as it relates to their planning and maybe some things that could be done to help them better from someone like my my standpoint, others are listening to this standpoint or society as a whole? Yeah, the first thing is to, to know what you don't know. What are the areas that you really just don't know what you're talking about? When people are experiencing poverty, a couple of things happen. Uh, there's a book called Scarcity. And in that book, the author talks about how being in distress of any kind, and in particular in our conversation, financial stress, actually inhibits your ability to make good financial decisions. First of all, understanding that. The second piece is understanding what people who are experiencing poverty deal with that no one else deals with. There's this um, software, gamification is the thing, right? It's called PlaySpent, P-L-A-Y, Spent.org, I think it is. And it helps you experience not having enough. And what decisions do you make? It's a lovely game. Every financial professional should play it. Understanding things like the asset means test. If you are talking to someone who is experiencing poverty and they are getting public benefits, certain types, it could be SSI, it could be food stamps. And if they save more than $2,000, they lose their public benefits or at least a portion of them. And if we as financial professionals don't know that, we can think we're helping and actually harm people. And so it's really important to understand the real financial experience of people who don't have enough, where there's more month than money. And so that's the first thing is really knowing your stuff. The second thing is reining in your inner hero. People who have less are often better with money than people who have a lot of money. And so don't make assumptions about you're going to go in and rescue them. Again, you want to partner with them to make sure that they feel self-efficacy. People can make change when they have self-efficacy. The, the other things to look out for is having very difficult processes for people to navigate. Now, as you know, when you do a financial plan for someone, you're gathering a lot of information and maybe requesting information in bits and pieces. So if you're going to work on the budget first, focus on the budget first. And then once that's clear and the person is creating new behaviors and practicing, then start to talk about savings and then start to talk about investments and then start to talk about retirement. And so to break it down in a way that it's accessible. If people are working multiple jobs, raising children, and just trying to survive, it's very difficult to front load 10 pages of data collection in order to help them. The other thing that I would say is that some of the things that people have to watch out for is feeling that there just simply isn't enough to save. So that mentality that I don't have enough to budget, there's not enough here. And then starting out with things like, so go and make a list of all your income and expenses. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can do that. Not, not everyone has the, the emotional bandwidth to do that. And so there are things that we can say. So rather than, well, track your spending for 30 days, you can say, you know, what I'd like for you to do is notice what happens at the end of every week around your financial life. Take a look back at what you did and see if there's something that you wish you had done differently. And just write it down. Write it down somewhere. Do that for two weeks, and then we'll get together and we'll talk about it. 
And so by doing those kinds of things, you're creating a partnership that is judgment-free. And little things like that can make it accessible. Another thing that can make it accessible, of course, is doing pro bono work or work on a sliding scale. Uh, When I first started in the profession, all of my work was on a sliding scale. I had pro bono clients. I also had clients that paid $25 for their plan. And then I had clients who paid $125 an hour. And what I would do with folks is I'd let them know, when you're in a better situation, you'll pay more. I never had one person complain. So you might hear things like people say, well, I can't do it. I can't do pro bono because people have to have skin in the game. Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe, maybe not. Be careful about the preconceived notions about people who are experiencing poverty. My experience has been very similar to yours. I've taken a lot of time in my career to help people that couldn't afford to pay for my services. And it's been a great blessing to me. It's been something that I've enjoyed. Even this podcast and the opportunity to talk to someone that's spending their lives in this environment. I worked with many people over the years that are in the nonprofit space, and I've tried to help them as much as I could through that process. But you're exactly right. And what I love about where you're heading with all this is you've just got to know the person. You've got to put in the time to care and get to know them so you can know best how to help them. That's been one of my challenges as an educator. I always did very well as an accountant when I was doing primarily tax work because I was sitting in front of people. It was a very personal relationship. They could feel the trust. They knew I was going to go do what I I said I was going to do. Now, as I look at retirement education, I'm sitting in front of a camera with 500 people on the other side that I don't know. Much more difficult. But you're really right as we try to help individuals. And the other thing that I've seen, and I don't know if you've experienced uh, through your career, when we look at it, it's amazing how much we can accomplish over time. Yes. You know, in a year, oftentimes we overproject what we can do and we don't quite get there, but it seems like when we look out to 10 years, we underproject what could have happened. Yes. And if we'll just give them the time and let them work and do as you said, you know, once you get to a point that things have changed, we'll change our relationship, but give them the time to be able to make those changes. And I think it's to the point you just said, if we focus on what we can do, we're not focusing on what that person can do. I remember when I got my first financial plan and I really, I mean, it took me years before I took action. Years. And there was a lot of emotional stuff that got in the way of me taking the steps. And I'm a financial planner by accident, I guess, because I made every financial mistake possible and some of them twice. And so, you know, it's like, I still, I mean, I tell people now, if it weren't for my partner, I would be worried about my retirement even now. He's he's the one who takes care of our future. I make good money. I do what I do now, but he's the saver and I'm the spender. Now, I've made different choices over the last couple of years. I've gotten better, and I've also noticed what's happening with me when I'm spending, right? What's going on with me? What gets in the way of me having a debt-free life, right? What gets in the way? And, And sometimes it's things that you wouldn't even imagine. There are people, believe it or not, and I was one of them, who have like a debt threshold. It's like, oh, as long as it's not more than this, not a big deal. And so I didn't look at what it was costing me, not just the dollars and the cents, but the emotional impact of what it was costing me. And that's what we can do when we're working with folks, no matter what their income is, we can support them in that way. And I do think that you're right. It starts with having compassion ourselves for ourselves. 
because the kinder we are, the kinder we can be. Absolutely. Sandra, I could go on for 20 more minutes. This has been an absolute pleasure to be able to connect with you, to be able to learn more about what you're doing, to understand the passion. As we wrap things up, I want to give you about a minute here to talk about that, just the coaching, what's available there. If someone's wanting to get involved, what that would look like and where they can go to be able to get access to what you offer. That would be lovely. So there's three things. We do the coach training. There's a financial fitness coach. And then there's also professional development for people who feel like I've got enough certifications. I just want to learn how to do this. So you don't have to become certified. And they can find that at our website at sagefinancialsolutions.org. Then we always welcome volunteers, people who are willing to do financial planning, do coaching for people who are not able to afford it or for the nonprofit staff. We call that part of our capacity building program. So we actually build the capacity of nonprofit staff who are working directly with clients. So those are the ways that you can connect with us. Sandra, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It was a delightful time. Please join me next week where we'll have another guest and talk about ways that you can eliminate or reduce the risk facing your retirement so you can get safely through retirement. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Risk Show. Join us next week for more details on how you can better reduce the risks facing your retirement.